welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week, we are going to sit down with two amazing ultra runners, uh, Alex Luck and Billy Barnett. Um, they are out of Hawaii. They're awesome. Uh, I'm super excited to share the conversation with you guys. Uh, but first, I, I just wanted to thank you guys. Um, last week, I decided not to post a podcast. Um, I had... I have five recorded right now. Um, I've only missed twice in the three and a half years I've been doing the show. Um, and those times were because I'm a, I'm an idiot and I spilled water on the computer one time and the other time I was on vacation. Uh, last week, I think um, for everybody in America and really worldwide, there were much more important conversations to tune into um those conversations are still happening so by all means pause the (laughs) pause this podcast turn it off um find some of those conversations but things about um, racism inclusion privilege and and really uh inequalities that we we have in in this country and those are super heavy topics. Uh, you know, usually on this podcast, we we definitely, I mean, we've gone into heavy things before, but usually it's more on like a, a personal um, overcoming the obstacles kind of level. Uh, this is is overwhelming and it's complicated and it's it's systemic. And, you know, for me personally, like, when something is so complicated, you know, I can get overwhelmed and I'm, I'm never, and at times I'm, I'm not sure how, you know, an individual like me, uh, can help solve a problem. It's, it just seems too big. It seems bigger than me. Um, and it's kind of, you know, I think maybe that's why I like running so much is cause like, that's not complicated. That's simple. You just put one foot in front of the other and they just keep doing that. Um, but I saw something today, uh, from Brendan Leonard who does semi rad. And I don't know if you remember, I, I interviewed him a while back, but semi rad is, uh, just this really cool comic. Uh, I don't even know if you call it comic. It's like charts and inspiration. A lot of times funny, a lot of times, uh, charts and graphs, but, But uh, he posted something recently and um, it's called Ideas About Changing the World in Seven Charts. And it kind of helped me understand. And it's such a simple idea. And this is the the thing with me. I'm all about simple ideas, you know? I think I started the podcast, I always talk about the slight edge. And basically the idea there is that you do something consistently um, po- consistent positive little actions will add up into major successes and simple uh, negative actions will also compound into um, big time failure or or um, something like that. So I'm a simple guy <laughs> is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, but it's in the semi-rad charts that he has and I posted it on our Facebook group um basically it's this idea small acts multiplied by millions of people can transform the world and brendan drew he just drew like a square and it just said act right 
And then he drew a pile of squares and each one says act, 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 act. Oh, now it's a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden he has this giant wave based off of actions, right? And that gives me hope because I think I would like to think that most people in the world want the world to be a better place for for everyone. And I would would like to think I would like to be optimistic um, that most people in the world want other people to be happy and safe. And it's, you know, the thing everyone said as soon as COVID hit is like, stay happy and healthy. Like everyone signed their emails off that way. And I think it's because I think people want to be happy and healthy. We have compassion for other people. We have that empathy, um, which is such a, such a powerful tool. And it's something that great people and great leaders display. Um, so I think for me, it comes down to an idea I learned in my third year teaching uh, I moved to Danville, Virginia. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because Billy Barnett, who we are going to chat with on the show, uh, is also a middle school teacher. Um, so it was awesome. We nerd out. I'm going to just tell you right now, we totally nerd out on teaching stuff. Um, but I think it's an idea that teachers learn very quickly. And I just remember my third year teaching. I moved to Danville, Virginia. I was teaching eighth grade and I was trying to do the thing that they tell you to do for classroom management, which is bring a student outside in the hall and have like a private conversation. So you're not like calling someone out in front of the class or, or any of that. And, you know, and basically here's what I learned. It's simple. It's just a simple idea. And my friend Tom Takis told me this and he's like, listen, man, kids understand the concept of fairness. They just do every like a human being understands that idea of what is fair and what is not. And so if you come at all of your classroom discipline issues with this concept of, hey, man, how is how can I be fair to you and how can you be fair to me? Um, kids will understand that idea. And. So when I think about mistreatment of people based on their just the color of their skin um whether that be personal person to person or whether that be systemic that doesn't that's not fair it's just not and if i'm breaking it down to that in that simple of terms then it's not okay and i'm hoping right now we can have a moment and i think i've called it in the past like clear the mirror moment it's the moment where all the distractions go away and you can look yourself in the mirror and really see yourself for who you are. Um, I'm hoping we can have a clear the, clear the mirror moment in the country because there are systems that are broken right now. And, and I think taking time to really discuss this and break it down and figure out what's working and what's not working for every person is important. And I'm hoping that we're doing that right now. Um, I hope that you're having these conversations with family members, with friends, with coworkers, with, with your, um, with your community, because those little actions are going to add up. 
right? Those little conversations will add up. It's really hard for an individual <clears throat> to completely change the world, but a bunch of individuals working together, trying to spread goodness can affect big change. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking about right now. Um, I know there are many ways I can improve, including uh, this podcast. And uh, I just want to kind of show you guys where I'm starting in this journey. But uh, I just ordered the book, The Adventure Gap, Changing the Face of the Outdoors by James Mills. And I'm super excited to dive in. Uh, basically it chronicles the first all african-american summit attempt on denali there's also a really good documentary about that called american ascent um but basically the idea here is about adversity when it comes to outdoor adventure um so this is uh kind of where i'm starting here um and i invite all you guys to to check that book out too and um it's something we can start thinking about together because i'm gonna be honest guys i'm not I'm not a super deep thinker. Uh, I have three kids. I'm constantly distracted and cleaning up after I feel like uh, after those guys. And there are, I feel like at times I, I make excuses for not really having time to dive in and really think uh, critically about some heavy, heavy stuff. And and I was okay with it for the longest time, you know? I was like, whatever, like, I'm just trying to make my way through through the world and all that. Um, but when I started thinking about that idea of fairness and I started thinking about all the students that I've taught in my eight years of, of teaching at this point, I just want them to have a wonderful world full of possibilities to grow up in. And I want them to go out and experience an adventure, no matter what race, sexuality, anything. Like I want them to just be able to feel comfortable in the outdoors and really experience it and let the outdoors teach them uh, the lessons that I've learned along the way. And I wouldn't have learned many of the lessons that I've used in my life without feeling comfortable enough to go out and go run on trails, you know? And I just, I just want every single person to be able to experience that. And I don't think that's a political, I don't think it should be a political standpoint. I think it should just be something that all of us humans are striving for. You know, I think trying to lessen the suffering of other humans, um, be that mental, physical, or emotional, um, or be that economical or whatever is super important. So. Anyways, that's where I'm at. And to steal a quote from my friend Natalie, uh, which I, I saw on um, something she wrote online, uh, nothing I do or say will be enough, but I can't say or do nothing. So uh, anyways, super long intro. My wife told me to keep it, keep it short. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, uh, hope you guys honestly are out there spreading positivity, spreading goodness, and just doing your absolute best um, for not only you, but for everyone else around you and everyone else we we exist with. Um, all right, so 12 minutes in, 
let's get into the podcast. We are sitting down today with Alex Luck. And by the way, we recorded this probably three or three and a half weeks ago, maybe. Um, and so we don't really get into super heavy topics <laughs> in this. Uh, so today we're sitting down chatting with Alex Luck and Billy Barnett. We talk about all sorts of things. Like I mentioned, Billy and I will chat a bit about teaching. Uh, we dive into just kind of their their experiences as ultra runners, um, experiences in Hawaii, their race directors. We talk a bit about their upcoming races and talk about both their histories and how they kind of uh, found each other. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. We talk about bodybuilding, um, trail running in Virginia, all sorts of stuff. So that being said, longest intro ever, um, let's jump right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 202 with Alex Luck and Billy Barnett. Once again, guys, like, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I talked to Anna a few weeks ago and I mean, I think you heard the conversation, but she had nothing but like amazing things to say. And the whole time I'm like writing down like coach Alex, I'm like, who's coach Alex. I'm like circling it. I'm like I got to talk to coach Alex. She sounds awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Battery is best when it comes from one of your best friends. And, well, you know, exactly. Well, and that's what I noticed. And that's why I was like, I definitely need to reach out is because you could just tell based on how she was talking about you, like how much you have meant to her life and, and her endurance racing and all of that. Like it just came through like the way she was talking. So. Oh yeah. She, um, she's been a client for a long time and then I made the inappropriate choice of crossing that barrier into friendship. And now she's pretty much like my, my little sister. So I always tease her. I always tease her other sisters and tell her I'm, I'm in the circle. They don't have her back without me. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to just kind of like sort of base, uh, like our conversation just around like endurance and being an athlete and being a lifelong athlete kind of idea. Um, and so I just want to ask you guys just to kind of start off like a pretty vague question, but, uh, what is it? to you personally, like, what is it about being an athlete that is so fulfilling or like keeps you going after it? Because obviously you guys are very, very active and, you know, and yeah. So what is it that like keeps you guys in that lifestyle? For me, I think it's just something I started when I was young. So it's just kind of like a routine. It's kind of like brushing my teeth you know, like I'll go for like a run or bike ride or something, just some sort of like physical activity. It's just kind of like, no, I don't even, it's not, not something I even think about. It's just something I do because I've been doing it for so long and enjoy it so much. Yeah, I think the same for me. My parents, I was super hyper as a kid. And so my parents had me in a bunch of sports. And, I, you know, at the time I didn't realize like they were doing it for a benefit to me as well as a benefit to them. And um, I think it's just become kind of a routine as well. So, you know, like Billy and I have talked about it because we do run and that is kind of our current sport. But if both of us, if we can never run tomorrow, like as long as we could do something, it, that wouldn't really be an issue. Like I don't think we're really hung up on running being our medium, but it just happens to be one of the most convenient affordable sports out there. So. Oh yeah. 100. I was thinking this morning, I'm like, I should, I need to start riding my mountain bike more, 
But then I'm like, oh, that's so expensive. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like everything, every time you like, you know, if you break something running, it's like, oh, I skinned my knee. I'll throw some antibiotic ointment on that. If you fall biking, you're like, oh, it's a $400 part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I have a bone sticking out of my finger, whatever. <laughs> it hurts more when you fall. Biking. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I, 100% agree with you there. Like I I've known people in the past, like if they are injured on, like they hurt their leg, they'll take to those hand cycling things. Like it's just like when it's a part of you, it's always going to be a part of you no matter what. And you'll adapt. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just like both of us are a lot more laid back about it. Like we don't, it's not training for a race. It's more just like a lifestyle. It's just for being healthy and feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. We, does it change for you when you have a race on the calendar? Like when there's an upcoming event? Not really. You know, I try to keep that kind of mindset the same as just going out and enjoying and having fun. Like, you know, I'll definitely like increase the volume, um, but that's kind of, that's about it. I don't really increase the intensity or, or anything like that. I think if there's definitely a, like a, a difference between health and like performance, and I kind of want to stay more on the health side and not really risk like injuries or anything like that. So like Billy and I have talked about it because he's never trained for anything and he is, I'd say more talented than the average, but I'm like, you know, are you ever going to like regret not trying to like make it as a pro runner? And he's like, no, not at all. Because what that would do to my, le- my body and my life. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, you see people that like burn out you know and for me like i'm imagining when i'm 50 or 60 like i want to still be out exploring in some form or fashion yeah and like i have friends that are pro on any sport and i mean i did bodybuilding before and to be at a level that's professionally competitive at any sport now is you're risking health injuries you know my friends that are runners they're they have a broken bone a year or they have a stress fracture or a torn tendon. It's just a part of being a, an athlete on that level. And I don't think either of us are interested in that, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's the, all the other things that just being healthy brings to your life, you know? Yeah. Just trying to find balance with everything. It's like, I don't know how people do it that have kids and like have a full-time job is just having like, you're a teacher as well, so you know, like when you get off in the afternoon, there's a lot of days where you're just worn out and you know, the thought of going for a long run just, just can't happen. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, here's my thing. After teaching middle school all day, I'm like, I need an, at least an hour to get my brain back to uh, a normal, a sense of normalcy, you know? I know last year I got an ice, like an ice chest and like filled it with water and keep it at like 35 degrees and that's kind of like when I get off and like I'm in just like in a, in a funk, I'll go sit in the ice and that'll like kind of rearrange my mind, like get me out of that funk from being at school all day. Yeah. 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 Well, and then some days too, it's like, I just taught the same lesson five times in a row. And then by the last time it's like, did I already say all this? And I asked the kids, I'm like, did I already say this <laughs> guys? Come on. Help me out. I'm sure they're not going out of their way to help you out either. They, they love it. They do. They do. Eventually you win them over. You win them over through time. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing that, uh, that's kind of like intriguing because I think, at least based off of like, you know, social media and stuff, like it comes through that you guys just appreciate adventure and 
and exploring and challenging yourself in, in different ways, not just running, um, which, which I am really drawn to. Yeah, I'd say that's... Yeah, just being outside, exploring, traveling, going to new places. I think we're more excited, like this summer we're going to be traveling and we're like equally excited about biking as we are running, as we are breweries. So we're like really hoping breweries are open and where we're going to be is safe. And so it's like, we're, I think it's a balance, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where are y'all traveling to? I'm going to go to Virginia and then um, we're going to get, my dad's given us a truck, his old truck. And so we're going to drive across the country and then ship the truck back out here. No way. That's awesome. I, I just realized I was drinking out of a Virginia coffee cup and I didn't plan that on purpose. So, um, but I want to ask you a couple of things. My wife and I lived in, uh, Norfolk for like a month oh, wow. <laughs> and I explored a couple of places out there. So one of them was my absolute favorite place in Virginia to run, which was false Cape state park. Oh yeah. I, I love going out there. You can go all the way to North Carolina. Yeah. I it's a wild place. There's like hardly anyone back there. There's like the wild, you know, coast, coastline and like sandy trails. So that's a cool place. Yeah, man. I was attacked by those little black flies. Oh, man. <laughs> and without getting like too specific, I was stopping, try to go to the bathroom and I didn't have a shirt on and they were like biting me. And so I just started running like, anyways, long story. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it could have ended very painfully. So it, yeah, it. exactly. But it's cool, man. There's like a empty beach for miles and miles and miles, and no one's there because you have to get there by foot or by by like paddling or biking or something like that. I know my dad has um, a surfboard trailer for his bike, so we would like put surf, strap surfboards down and like bike in like eight miles in and camp out and surf back there. And it was just a cool experience because there's no one around. Yeah. Yeah. What brought you guys to Hawaii for both of you guys? See, well, I've been here about 12 years and I came just because of the trails and ocean pretty much. My brother was living over on Oahu and I went to visit him. And then I learned about the big island, about how you can get up to almost 14,000 feet and you know, this beautiful ocean access. And it's kind of, I got a job over here and just came over and fell in love with it. And now I'm here to stay. Like, like now we live in um, a town called Volcano. And it's at about 4,000 feet elevation. And we have a trailhead into the national park about two miles away. So it's just kind of like a paradise. Or and we have a weird theory, like everywhere we've really liked in our lives, like towns, places we visited, they're all between like four and 7,000 feet. And so it's like, I think we've decided like we're not, we both like the water a lot, but we're definitely like more drawn to mountains. Like everywhere we've liked, it's nothing's below like 3,800 feet. It's just, it's a weird coincidence maybe. yeah yeah well Alex how did you get into uh like bodybuilding or, or so uh, yeah so I was a runner really young in my life um I did endurance horseback racing which is essentially ultras for horses and then <laughs> I found out about ultra running at like seven or eight and started just going out and running, you know, five, 10, 15 miles. And so like the mileage, my parents never told me that wasn't a normal activity. And they were probably really glad I was doing it because it was keeping me from being hyper. And uh, yeah, so then in my early 20s, I had been a personal trainer since I was, you know, a teenager. 
And so I was always in the, working in gyms and places like that. And I was like, you know, I want to do something that's not my body type. And I want to do something that's really hard for me. And so I started getting into bodybuilding and, you know, it's not my body type and it was really hard for me. And it took me a long time. Um, but I like got to a pro level and I got to compete as a pro and I realized there was just, it was a point of diminishing returns. Like I was looking at, I'm going to be doing exercises specifically for this part of my leg for the next year and a half to have an eighth of an inch growth because I wasn't willing to use drugs and I didn't have a problem with people that did. That's just a part of that sport. But I knew like for my future health and for like wanting to have kids one day, that wasn't the direction I wanted to go. And so I competed pro a few times and I was like, you know, I think I'm almost done with this. And I made a bet if I could do a hundred mile run without changing my life or my training, because it was mostly gym based that I would then start training to run again. <laughs> and then I did a hundred miler and it was a sucker fest because I didn't change my training at all. And I got through it and then I kind of gave it up. So yeah. Yeah. Well, bodybuilding just seems like you have to be so strict on diet and workout and it just seems like it's really, really restrictive. And then you get to ultra running, which can be restrictive, but a lot of times it's like you get to an aid station, you're like, whatever the food is, throw it in. I'm starving. Like it just (laughs) such it's, I know there's correlations probably between the two, but it seems like they're just completely like opposite ends of the spectrum. I think they are as far as like the food and the culture, but as far as like the, the mental stamina, I would say like, and I think, you know, I think I heard Anna say something similar, but I think when you've been hungry for four months, like knowing you have to walk for another three hours or run for another three hours is really easy. Like, Hey, I could do something that's way, way longer, or I could, you know, be done with this really soon if it's uncomfortable and so it's not it makes i think it makes ultra running really i don't want to say easy and upset people but it makes it a lot easier well you're able to like withstand you know like you've proven yourself like i can withstand anything if i yeah so yeah man that's that's crazy well billy how did you guys uh how did you guys meet we met so we were so there's a small group of runners here on the big island and we were going to do a run from sea to summit of Mauna Kea, which is from sea level to 13,700 feet. And Alex was living over on Oahu and was friends with one of the people that, that was going to be running it. So she came over to do the run and that's how we met. That's crazy. Well, how insane is that run? Cause it's what, like how it's much? About 40, it's about 42 miles and <laughs> almost 14,000 feet of elevation gain. So. Did you guys meet, like, did you run together during it or was it more like after or before? Kind of you know, a little bit during, kind of, we all kind of stayed together as a group for, you know, for a good majority of it. And we just kind of all took off. Yeah. So um, afterwards she stayed over for a while. So that's how we met. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Well, it's like, if you can meet during something ridiculous like that and you both are, you know, liking it and having a good time and not miserable, like it sounds like a good way to start, start a relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how was the how was the first meeting for you, Alex? Oh man, I, I you know I had to leave the room so I get to realize version. Catch us. 
Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think when I started talking to Billy, it was like only running based and like, it was literally about like tread on shoes. And so then like, <laughs> they like instantly switched to like poetry and philosophy and it like got really deep really quick. And so I wasn't, I guess I wasn't used to that kind of intensity. Um, so I think like when we met, I wasn't sure what to expect but then it was better than whatever that expectation would have been so yeah yeah that's awesome did you guys like instantly just start training together or was it like was that part of you know when like hanging out and meeting each other were you like let's go for a run or something like that it's more about like exploring like let's go for like a run hike swim just kind of all the beautiful places here on the island we were just kind of exploring around yeah, yeah. and like like we talked about like the pace gap like i think a lot of people would be like oh well billy can't run your pace you run like 11 minute miles in training but in honesty like he prefers that (laughs) (laughs) so i think it's interesting because that took me a while when we first met i had this in my head like oh he's going to be disappointed if you don't run fast or oh he's going to be annoyed because the pace is different and then like once i got to know him i realized that had absolutely nothing to do with what he enjoyed yeah you seem like super laid back which i know is like a hawaii a hawaii like uh kind of stereotype sort of thing i think i've been i've pretty much been laid back my whole life really so yeah yeah that's awesome is it is that like is just living in hawaii is that kind of like the the vibe no not really i mean i think for to some extent that's kind of like a stereotype but yeah but for the most, you know, for, for the most, it's like anywhere else, really. You know? It's like if we're going to talk about stereotypes, I think because Billy lives in Hawaii, anytime, it's interesting, we've noticed, like, anytime people talk about him or there's an article written about him or whatever, they're like, oh, he's a big stoner. I'm like, he doesn't even smoke. Like, people, like, they just assume it because he's laid back. But yeah, kind of a funny, like, I guess, perception that people have about you. I guess. <laughs> He's like, it's just me, man. It's just me. Um, what Billy, can I can I just nerd out about teaching for a little bit with you? Definitely. Okay. Um, so when did you decide like I want to get into ed- education? So when I, when I, my first job here, I was um like uh I worked at a wilderness therapy program. So it was kind of therapy through farming and gardening. And it was a really intense program. It was a week on, week off. So when I was there, it was there for 24-7 for a week at a time. And so it was a really intense job. And I did that for three years. I was out there. And then kind of through the process of that, I um, kind of like the next natural step seemed to be into like into public schools, into teaching. And so that's kind of what led me into teaching. Yeah. I went back to school, got my teaching license. What is it that that you enjoy about the job like i know for me personally like it doesn't feel like i go to work every day it feels like this is just a part of my day this is where i go hang out and and get to try to teach and and whatnot yeah for me like what really draws me to it is just like the learning every year there's going to be a new group of kids a new group of like you know new group dynamics i'm gonna have to figure out so there's always there's always new research coming out about you know best practices and methods and so it's just the constant learning where i feel like a I'll never, it'll be like a lifelong thing to kind of try to keep getting better at it. 
that's kind of what draws me to it. You know, it's so it's hard. Like a lot of times it's hard for me to like get into like, you know, a group of like 10 or 15 kids that like do not want to be there. Like they hate it. They hate me. It's like trying to get them to like enjoy it. You know, that's like the challenge of that. You know? Yeah. What, what's a like success story? Like how have you grown as a teacher over eight years? I think the success for me, I guess the hardest part for me, like was all the, like, like the organization skills required. So like just, having to have like contact logs and, you know, so my organization skills have like increased over, because that that's something that didn't come naturally to me. It was like organizing things, organizing paperwork, having a calendar, or I'm the kind of person who would always just try to like, oh, I'll remember it. And then of course, <laughs> oh, you know, I would never write anything down or I would write on like scratch pieces of paper and the papers would be everywhere. And his handwriting is completely <laughs> illegible, even to him, so. <laughs> Would I write? Would I write? That's like um, every year is like increase my you know, organization skills. Well, <laughs> man, as like a special ed teacher too, like that's a whole aspect of being a special ed teacher that a uh, regular, you know, uh, like I'm a science teacher. Like I don't need that organizational skills necessarily, like to be as kind of in depth, you know? I know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, for special ed, it's like everything has to be documented and it's like pretty much the law. So you have to be able to, kind of validate everything <laughs> so. yeah that's that's awesome man my both my parents were special ed teachers growing up so i gotta like and i have to say this they're not super organized you know maybe they were at work <laughs> yeah there must be something to that yeah <laughs> what uh do you find that you were able to draw lessons from endurance racing into education no i, I think so i think just uh like I try to start out, you know, pretty much just the structure of a lesson, you know, like the kids, like I try to have like, they know what to expect every day when they come in. So it's kind of like a routine, like every day, we, you know, we start the class with, you know, deep breathing exercises and that like signals that it's like time to be quiet, time to learn. So it's just kind of developing a routine and a structure that it's that, predictable for them. So they know what to expect every day. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of helps with like the behavior management and stuff like, and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it helps with like, clout too because you said something about like one of the kids like read something about him in the newspaper and all of a sudden like his attitude switched like oh he he actually does things and I know. well you know kids like it's hard to imagine they don't think of like they think of like their teachers like someone that exists in school only so they know that like the teacher has a life outside of school is like mind-blowing for them you know? <laughs> yeah yeah no man uh do you do you look back like I know I look back at my first few years of teaching and it's almost one of those things where it's so painful and embarrassing you want to like you're like oh I can't believe like that was how I thought was a good way of teaching and stuff like that exactly like for, yeah the first years are you're just like trying not to drown you know there's so much craziness I remember like for my first year I was at a high school and like I had like all these assignments and then like a kid came in and he just threw the papers on the guys like, not today, Billy boy. <laughs> and then, and then the next time I staper, like I, I photocopied my middle finger to the paper. And I was like, all right, go ahead and flip it over to the next page. And then it was like my middle finger. And then they all like, were like, oh, like clapping. And like, and it like changed. Like from that moment on, they actually like were more engaged in class. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't think that's probably not appropriate thing to do. And like most states would probably, you know, would probably not fly, not fly, but 
but for here it like worked you know like they were like it was a way to build rapport it was just to kind of like have a little banter with them and like you know <laughs> i love that so much man you like used your judgment you know like your gut feeling like hey this is gonna work this is gonna win win them like win this kid over yeah and, like and it was like a whole class of like kids that just did not you know care whatsoever so by doing that they were oh like, oh he's willing to you know kind of have a little fun <laughs> like, yeah yeah oh my god that's amazing man well i love the idea of doing a meditation or a routine before like at the beginning of class because I just remember teaching in Danville, this girl came in and it's like seven in the morning. I haven't even had coffee yet. And she's standing right next to me, just telling me like every horrible thing that happened from the moment she left school the day before to the, to that morning, to that instance. And I was just like, that was like a completely paradigm shifting moment where I'm like, this, like, I need this kid to get in a different mindset. Otherwise she's not going to learn anything. And so from that point on, I started having them write like a gratitude journal just at the beginning of class because I'm like, let's at least try to trick their brain into, you know, thinking positive for a second. Cause you can get on those like negative kicks where all you're doing is thinking about how horrible everything is. And sometimes just thinking about like a little positive thing, a little bit of positivity can like kick you right out of that back into Exactly. a better space Being into public schools it's hard you know like i didn't realize how much poverty how much you know like violence how much abuse homelessness it's, yeah it's a lot it's it's highly prevalent here it's, it's in, a, in a lot of places around the country so maybe even you know, the more kids, so it's yeah. special ed you know, when kids are coming in and just in their minds like they they're just trying to survive they don't care about learning they're just trying to you know get their next meal and be safe yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it's like, I just love that there are good teachers out there. And that was the thing that broke my heart about the whole, you know, stay at home COVID thing is, I mean, many things broke my heart about it, but that especially like worrying about my students being like, I hope they're okay. Like they're at home now. I don't see them. We had some kids just like you mentioned before we started recording, like they didn't even log into the online class once. And it's just like, what are they going through? Like, are they okay? And you know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. It's it, been interesting for me, I think, outside, because I'm getting to see him trying to do his job. And yeah. so, like, it's one thing, like, he'll tell me, like, bits and pieces of his day, but it's been, I would say it's been, like, painfully aware for me. Like, he calls, you know, he has, like, weekly, weekly phone calls to, like, his parents or the guardians or whatever of these students, and he'll call, and they're like, he's like, hey, we have a computer if you want it. No. Okay, well, I, I've, I've prepared a packet of papers that your kid can want. No. Yeah, like they, and right they right don't right. care. And he's like, you know, well, how's your kid doing? He's fine. Don't call again. He's like, well, by the law, I'm going to call you next week. And it's just like. <laughs> I'm going to keep calling, guys. <laughs> it's kind of painful for me because I know he's dealt with it for eight years. But, like, it's been, like, aware, awareness for me. I think it's new for me. He's kind of more used to that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how similar the culture is to like places like Danville or like the you know, rural places in the South. It's kind of like it's similar to kind of like the redneck culture, you know, with like the big trucks and the gut, you know, it's, so it's, it's, you know, well, I think shocking po- how poverty similar, and yeah. poverty in general. Like the culture of poverty. 
Yeah, 100%, man. Well, um, to kind of completely shift topics because I was like, that's, you know, uh, that's a, heavy- podcast is a real downer. I'm like, hey guys, come to my podcast and let's all we be want to discuss cultural poverty and childhood yeah. here. Let's all cry together. It'll be great. Um, I, I want to hear about just like you guys as kind of like international racers or travelers like I want to hear about those experiences and I know Alex you you sent me a a list of some races that you guys have participated in uh everywhere from Korea and Hong Kong and Patagonia and you know I I have the travel bug I have it really bad right now and I just want to like live vicariously through you guys So I got to live in Japan for a while. So most of my races were international and, you know, I would travel and um, I got to do a lot of different Asian countries, but I think my favorites, I narrowed down to Korea and Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong, outside of its political, you know, just lack of unrest right now, it's just this massive amazing like metropolitan it's like new york of asia and it's like you just have this massive city and these open markets and these like really cool cultural groups of like this melting pot of people and then five minutes on the on a taxi and you're in this huge jungle and forest and every so everything's like the city itself is like built up on the water and then 80% of the land of Hong Kong is forest reserve because they want this buffer um, from, you know, China and to keep some of the forest forest. And so it, then you're, you have monkeys and you're looking out off these huge cliffs and you're looking down at this massive city, but you're in a trail that's like just some of the most rugged trails I've ever seen in my life. And it's just, it's like this such stark contrast. And then the, there, there's a racing company called Race Space Asia, and I um, got lucky enough to be friends with some of the people that are heavily involved with it, and some of the bigger race directors with it, and they just put on some insane races. Um, you, I think one of my favorites that I've ever done was, it was a 50 mile one day, a 50K the next, and I broke my back, which I didn't know at the time and hurt. So I dropped to just the 50 K. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm dealing with all of this back pain. Um, I was still want to come. I already have my flight. So I'm just going to like walk the 50 K and see what happens. <laughs> I'll just do a 50 K, uh, with a broken back. No big deal. <laughs> I didn't know at the time. So to defend my stupidity. <laughs> um, and it was just so cool. Like just seeing, it was like, I think sometimes when I used to race, I always wanted to do like the bigger thing and the more intense version of anything out there. And it was cool to like, just chill and not worry about pace and not, and just like take in the race for the community of people. And it's like such a weird, I, I think just like melting pot. Cause you have all of these expats and Europeans and, um, you know, even the locals, everyone speaks two and four languages and, it's just, you, you get there as an American, you're like, wow, I'm really behind in the world, but I'm just going to sit here and take it all in. Do you find like doing a race like that, that the actual act of going out and running, like kind of brings people 
together on this like level playing playing field so much so much so like in korea you don't get as many international runners but you do get quite a few um but just not not as many as you would like in hong kong because they have such a melting pot uh, population and i mean you don't have to speak a single word of the same language like and you can have a, you know, good or bad, you can have a full conversation with someone without knowing a single word of their language. Um, I remember a race I did in Korea, a guy hit me with his pole, like pretty hard. And he wasn't intentionally, but he was definitely being really rude about how he was using them because he was like splaying them out. <laughs> him. Yeah. But then like, and he had like whacked me pretty hard and like it ended up leaving like a well and some other guy start yells at him and they start yelling at each other and this other guy's like pointing at my leg and screaming at him on my behalf <laughs> it was just this like hilarious situation because i didn't understand really more than like a few words but i understood everything that was taking place and it just struck me as almost like a like you see like the new york times you see like the the cartoons and they're so good that you don't need a single word written. And that's like how I felt like life was in that moment. Yeah. Well, I feel like the mutual, like, Hey, we're worn out. We're in this, on this trail and we're suffering together. Like it just brings people together. That's why, I mean, for me personally, like the thing I love about trail running is that moment where it's like, Hey, we're both, I'm tired. I'm beat up. My legs are destroyed, but so are yours. And let's get through this together. Like, I love oh that. Oh my gosh. I'll have to tell you, they just remind me of the story. I, so that same race, I'm running along. When it becomes more of a shuffle, I realized the shoes I wore were like pretty minimal and it was all sharp volcanic rock. And I just got to the point, I couldn't put my feet down without like wanting to cry. And so I'm like going back and forth with this guy for maybe 10 miles. And we hadn't spoken anything. He didn't speak a whole lot of English. And I obviously don't speak any, any of the Asian languages. So we're just kind of at an impasse. And we leave an aid station together. And we both start walking at the same time. And so I like jog up 10 feet to walk next to him. And I said, hi, you know, my name is Alex. And he's like, my name is Dick. Not like the penis. <laughs> and I just started laughing so hard because I'm like, 50 mile or no at this point I was like maybe 40 miles into this race and I'm like you know this guy and I don't speak the same language but we have the same humor and I said hi Dick nice to meet you and we just walked the last marathon together and like anytime I would get too slow and he was you know like maybe early 40s you know he would tap me on the shoulder and anytime he would get he would drop behind me and going up a hill I'd turn around and like wave at him and he added me on Facebook after, and he wrote the most beautiful blog I've ever read. It was his post about the race, and it was all about our time together. And you can be like a Facebook language translator. Yeah. And it was just about like how we, how our race was together, and how we brought each other in, and how we both had a hard day, but we got through it together, and how much you know, like it was really beautiful. And it was just like several pages long about his experience running with me, even though we didn't speak the same language. So that that's was so that's awesome, man. Like, 
uh, it's just that that's what for like captures it for me that's so sweet yeah and then like i made him hold hands with me because he wanted me to go across the finish line first so i made him hold hands. so we had this really cute photo of me and this man i know nothing about but we uh we crossed the finish line together we held hands <laughs> it was really funny yeah when for both of you guys like when you race what's when you go into it I don't know. Some people get really intense, really focused. Some people get goofier. Like what's your guys like personality like during a race? Uh, for me, I think I, I pretty much stay the same. I, you know, I'm not very competitive by nature, so I don't kind of get into that, like, you know, high strung or like, you know, you know, kind of stay, I feel pretty relaxed and just like I'm going out for a, going out for a daily run. It's kind of how I feel. Yeah. I don't usually do races unless it's like, a distance or a course that kind of like scares me a little. So I'd say I probably get maybe a little more withdrawn, a little quieter beforehand. Um, but then like once it starts, it's like I'm over the nerves, I guess. And yeah, to being like silly and bubbly and not taking it serious. That's the only way to get through sometimes, especially when it's intimidating. Yeah. And you know, I like, I'm not talented, so I just kind of, I'll have a beer and eat Skittles and make friends with people on the way. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not running to, to win it. And if I do, it's a fluke or there's not a lot of people there. So I'm just having fun. So. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, the Patagonia race? Like what, what brought you there? I guess just, I, I, it's a part of the world I've been wanting to, been wanting to go visit is in, in Southern Chile. And so I, found out about a race down there and I was like, oh, that's a good excuse to go kind of travel around down there. And um, so just getting down there, it was just like, you know, like several flights to small little towns and hanging out and just exploring the culture of, of Chile. It was so cool. Like, um, like the race, it was a 40 mile run and it took place in the Torres del Paine Park. So it's like this beautiful, you know, wide open, rugged, you know, like, you know, magical lakes, turquoise lakes and snow-capped peaks. And you know, after the run, I got to hike like the circuit around where it's like a big like three-day hiking loop, backpacking loop. And then being able to go to all the other, like the urban areas in Chile was really cool. So it was just, just the kind of the, the travel adventure part of it is what, what drew me down there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, what I, I know my cousin who is like a big traveler, he said his favorite place in the world is down in Chile. And he said that out of everywhere he's been, that place is just really, really enjoyable. It is. It's just, it's just so rugged, so rural, so wide open. It's, you know, it's kind of like, like the pulse of life. You can just like feel it down, down there. <laughs> yeah. Do it's you think all friendly and you know, it's just, yeah, it's just an amazing place. Although yeah. I do have one piece of advice for you, because you said you, like, have the travel bug really bad. I do. And, like, we're trapped in, too, and it's, like, we, so we, I bought these maps where you, like, scratch off everywhere you've been. Yeah. And we both feel like we've traveled a fair amount till we bought those maps, and now we're just, like, you've been we, gotta, we gotta go to Russia <laughs> we can scratch it off. And it's just like, it's like, just don't do it. It's like, it's like, I'm just warning you, do not start looking at like how many places you have been because it's endless and it's terrible and <laughs> it's <such> struggle. <laughs> yeah. Well, my wife, this was supposed to be our big travel summer and, oh, yeah. 
it was like we had like our 10th anniversary trip and all that stuff planned and uh i don't know if it's gonna happen but where are you gonna go we were gonna go to iceland uh I know. And we had it all planned out and all of it's non-refundable because we're like, oh, I mean, yeah. what's going to happen? Like a worldwide pandemic or something? Oh, oh man. Gosh. Yeah, we were supposed to get um, married this summer and um, we're not. <laughs> so. That's one million times way harder than us not going to Iceland. Just no, kidding. I don't think so at all. Like, <laughs> I don't think so at all because we were, we're still going to hopefully see family. Um, and we were going to have like, what, I think it was like 16 people. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly a big event. Um, but man, I can't imagine losing the money on a, a trip like that. Like, yeah, we're still holding out hope, cross our fingers. But yeah, I feel like maybe you just go and then just don't teach for the first few weeks because you quarantine when you come home. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know how it is for you guys, but for us, Billy, like, school next year is gonna no one knows no one knows anything no one knows what's gonna happen yeah Yeah, they're talking about like alternating half the half the kids come one day half and that no one knows we're talking about the same stuff oh man it's crazy but yeah so well let's talk about that real quick um i think this has actually localized a lot of us you know not traveling um has brought us at least for me i'm like oh i want to explore the area i live in even more now and I realized really quickly, probably like a month into this, there is so much of the town I'd been living in for like three years that I had no idea about and I'd never seen or, or been to. That's awesome. Yeah, like living here on, so it's called the Big Island and it's like, it's huge. So it's huge. <laughs> Pretty big. So you can get in like to any like climbing zone. You can, you can go to like a desert, rainforest, you know, higher kind of alpine areas. Like it just has like all these different ecosystems. And so it never gets old. Even after 12 years, like there's still places that, you know, that I haven't been because, you know, there's, there's so much to explore just here and so many epic like routes and adventures and mountains you can summit. And there's, and I've been really like banging off like every, like I don't really race very often, but I've been like banging off every few weeks, every few months, like a big run, like in the mountains. And it's been like kind of fun to, I guess have one more excuse as to why I'm not racing, but really, I just I don't race a ton, so yeah. So there's a lot of like kind of like classic routes, like routes here on the island. That like if you live here, you know, like like Waipio to Waimanu Valley, it's like a classic like you know distance running route, or you know sea to summit. So there's all these different kind of epic adventures that are that are kind of like the standard for like living here. <laughs> yeah, a sea to summit sounds crazy, man. Because you just told me 14,000 foot, but you're starting at sea level, which means I can, I'm not the smartest guy, but I can do the math there. You have to gain 14,000 feet of elevation, which is bomb. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and 40 miles. So it's a, it's a, I just did it, Billy's done it a lot of times, but I just did the, that one, what, three weeks ago? Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. And it was just like one of those things like, I invited one girlfriend to come for part of the way with me and she couldn't because of um, a high school graduation change for one of her kids. And I started and it poured rain and Billy like had some errands to do before he was going to come help me. And I was just like in that mood and I'm like, Oh, this is going to be the worst day ever. So I had like a hard bonk, like at mile seven. 
I don't want to do this. And then like, out of nowhere, Billy shows up like a couple hours before I was expecting him. He's like, do you need anything? And I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. Like, what a treat. And then, yeah, it just like really put in perspective how big this island is because I was like, oh man, just these 40 miles is going to take a long time. Like, and that's not even across the island. So like the race we're putting on in a few weeks is, or in a week, a week. A week. Wow. Um, it's uh, from one side of the island to the other, and they don't have to go over a summit, but they have to go through a saddle between the two biggest mountains here. And so it's like they're literally going across the whole island, and I'm like, I'm a little bit in awe of the people that are doing the race because having recently run, you know, the first 28 miles of it, I know it's it's not an easy feat. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to hear about that, guys. Like, you are starting to uh, direct some races. What What was the motivation for that? Just if there the lack of you know the lack of races here, and so it's yeah. like you travel to either another island or you know fly to like the west coast somewhere. So it's it's hard to really do races. So we just wanted to kind of provide the opportunity for people to like get into running ultras. And what's really cool is with the, we have a fifty k and one hundred k. And um, it's really small. Like we kind of capped it at 10, 10 people each race. Because of because social of distancing. Nope. And it's, it's race is going to be self-supported, so they'll have to have a crew, so there won't be hardly inter- any interaction. But um, And most of the people signed up, it's their first, first ultra. So that's kind of something that we're really pumped about, is like getting people into it. Yeah, and getting people to do something that, you know, maybe if they had to fly to another island, they couldn't afford to, or they wouldn't take that leap with their running. Um. So I've lived on Oahu a, a few times and like the second time I was there, I was more involved with, I'd say the Hurt community and the trail running community and just seeing like what they built and knowing like, Hey, it's taken 20 years, but the potential of building that kind of community and maybe more on this Island because we have more trails and more options than they do by a lot. Um, like really excites me like so billy's not as social as i am but like i love the idea of building a big run community here and if that means we have to do the work ourselves like that's so i still vividly remember my first my first ultra it's like when you lived in virginia did you do any of the races there i think did you do mount mascust mascust yeah yeah that was my first uh 50 miler well yeah it's my first ultra and it was like i still vividly remember everything from like the dinner the night before or like you know, David Horton's crazy you know, stories and stuff. David Horton driving in his truck telling you you're going slow. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're planning for uh, this one. So it's just cool to remember like how much of an impact like you know, your fir- the first race can, can have on someone. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah, I remember during that race, I, I started running with this lady named Sophie. And I still remember her first name, though I only ran with her for a few hours. But... I was just like, I'm a sponge. Like I'm absorbing every lesson. Cause she had ran it like seven or eight times at that point. And I'm like, just teach me the ways. Like I'll go your pace. Like I just want to survive this thing, <laughs> you know? And I like that about races though. Like I said, I don't take them serious, but like running with someone else and like getting their perspective or seeing what they do. And even if I don't agree with it or if I'm like, wow, that nutrition's going to be a train wreck. I'm going to be interested to see how they look in 10 miles. Like I like seeing it, you know, I like like seeing other people's attack attempts or approaches at these things. So. Yeah. And what do you guys think like running your first ultra can do to somebody in their lives? Like, I just think the confidence it can build in people is amazing. 
Oh yeah, just the, the goal setting, you know, like everyone, it just feels good to like have a goal and to accomplish it. Like just that feeling and that satisfaction can be transferred to anything you do. Yeah, I think, I think that, but then like as a coach, like seeing how some people like really get the bug and they can bloom and it's um, like taking Anna, for example, like someone that's wants to run a half marathon and I push them into a 50 K and then a year later they're winning. Like, Big hundred milers it's it's cool to like watch that progression but to see people like light up a part of belief in their self that maybe they didn't have otherwise i think it's yeah i it's, almost i would compare that, like, it to directing is similar to coaching i think in that like for me it's like i'm getting people to do something they wouldn't do otherwise and I get to like hold their hand and be the jerk that pushes them off the cliff a little bit. You get to do both. You get to be, you, you get to be like, hey, I'm going to support you through this, but it's not going to be easy. Right. Yeah. So I guess I like that role. So like when Billy told me he had wanted to put on races and he goes, but the state of Hawaii won't allow it. There's no permits given out on this island. I was like, you just gave me a challenge. And he had like looked into it for on and off, I think for like seven or eight years. But then I was like, oh no, I'm going to harass the state. And he'll like, give us permits. Yeah, it's like, there's no races here for a reason. It's like, they made, there's so many roadblocks and you're getting the permits and things like that. But I'm really good at harassing people. I guess. Just like a bulldozer, just busting right through them roadblocks. Okay, so I won't name the person because he'd be embarrassed, but I had to find out my main contact person, his boss's name, and find out that we had a friend, one of Billy's best friends, his wife is friends with that guy's wife, so that's how that worked. I had to like, and I was like, okay, well, so-and-so says hello, so um, if you could tell this to your wife for me, and bam, all of a sudden those permits started moving. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I, oh man. It's so, so this is going to be your very first race. Yeah, you... we had to delay the one we were supposed to put on in March indefinitely until the state's comfortable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, so this is going to be our first one. What's so, it called? Is it the under the moon? Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna, it's going to be at night under the full moon. It's because running out there in between the two mountains at night, it's just like a, a, like a spiritual, it it's is. just like a, you know, like it, there's just like spirits swirling around and wind and. And it's the strawberry moon, so I want to get, like, strawberries and, like, champagne for people. Or I don't know. I want to, like, uh, I don't know when you're going to release this. Uh, yeah, I mean, whenever. I don't think anybody's going to, like, have heard it and ruin the surprise. Yeah. But we, um. <laughs> I we, can uh, release it after, for sure. No, 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 you're fine, you're fine. I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, the people here, are, they're all new to ultras. So they probably don't even know about ultra running podcasts. But, um. We got everyone these journals, and it's called a what is it? The moon, um, it's like a reflection, it's like a moon based reflection, and so it like takes like all the different phases of the moon and like has journal prompts and it has like quotes and it has like philosophical articles. And like, so it's like we're gonna give it to people instead of like a traditional, like, here's a cup or here's a shirt. Yeah. We really want to like encourage people to. I guess be more introspective and then we're doing social distancing so people aren't allowed to run together um so they have to do this whole like pilgrimage if you will solo i and love so, that so much yeah but also we're taking away their chances to run with somebody and soak in good information <laughs> that is true but i think like encouraging them i always know for me like a week after the race is really like i just need 
time to really like take it in and soak it in or whatever, maybe not the race, but like an experience like that. And if it's something they've never done, that's going to push them. Like just thinking about, and like you said, being introspective about those lessons is huge. Yeah. It becomes almost like a rite of passage kind of, you know, where you're, you're doing something hard, you know, you're doing something really hard. that's beyond yourself. And then you're kind of learning lessons from it or thinking about it. And that's the cool part about running that I like. Yeah. It's the kind of like rite of passage part of it. So. Oh yeah. yeah. We, we both pretty epically failed a race this January, but I think like the lessons that we got out of it were really way more interesting. Like I realized my values have changed a lot and I realized like what my priorities were has changed a lot as an adult. So it was like, it wasn't tech. I mean, on paper it was a failure of a race, but like learning from it, I think was like way more interesting to me. Um, yeah. How did you epically fail a race? <laughs> well, we did. Um, so I wanted to get into hurt this last year and I did it and I was pretty sulky about it. I was like crying, running down the road. <laughs> Billy's like, he doesn't race. And he's like, well, what if I do a race with you? We just pick a different race. And I'm like, you would race? And he's like, I guess. And so we picked uh, across the years. And we both, he did the 24-hour and I did the 48-hour. And, like, it was just so cold. And we weren't used to that. It was, like, running in the, what, 40s, low 40s? I don't, yeah, I don't know. It just got really cold. And we both were just, like, I was just, I got to like 50 miles and I was like, well, that was good. Yeah. Like 48 hours in, eight hours in, 50 miles, like I'm good. Like, but the thing that I learned is it was the first time I got to meet his parents and my parents drove all the way out from Florida. So it's like, I realized that spending time with family because his parents were only there for a few days and my parents were only there for like less than a week. And I realized like that was such a higher value. I was like, I don't want my parents to sit out in the cold, like, watching yeah. us run in circles and like, <laughs> yeah. Us. yeah i think we both felt bad that like we only had a short amount of time with our parents and then we're just running around in circles and like, it's like but it was cool like, because i realized that was gross because in my 20s or like you know 10 years ago i'd have been like yes they're here for me and i need yeah. something i would have I, I was a terrible person i would have been like could you get me a coffee no i want to ice coffee from starbucks <laughs> i would have like taken full advantage of having all this crew and instead I was like, I don't want them to crew me. I want to spend time with them. I want to do something that's like fun for them. And I realized like my priorities have changed a lot, obviously. Um, and I didn't care. I didn't care what my, my ranking was on ultra sign up. And I didn't yeah. care what people thought of me. And I just realized I cared about spending time with family. And that was my number one priority. And I was like, oh, look at me with that personal growth. <laughs> You're like, I got, I didn't, might not have gotten a medal, but I got a medal of personal growth. <laughs> and then uh, Billy, like, also, I think, kind of decided the same thing around mile 70, which was about the same time it took me to run 50 miles. So, you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then I was just, like, going to be done. But then he was like, well, maybe I'll just go to 100 miles. And so he, like, walk shuffled it in. I think the last, like, I just did, like, the last... 19 or 20 miles with them. But that's so cool. That was the first time I'd ever done like a loop, like a 24 hour time when we just like rack up however many miles you can in 24 hours. And I definitely like, it's definitely interesting. I want to go back and do like do another one and try to like kind of figure out what went, what went wrong and try to rack up some more miles. Yeah. I, well, I saw you guys were putting on a looped event. Yeah. So permitting being the nightmare oh, yeah. is, um, 
I reached out to our local winery and ironically the manager of it happens to be a trail runner and he's friends with a lot of people that have done ultras like back in the 90s and stuff and he's like oh my gosh I've always wanted to help put on a race how can we help you and he's like you know why don't you come out and so I was like hey you know I've kind of google mapped your property you're one of the bigger property owners in the in this town that we live in you know, do you think we could use your property? And he's like, sure. And then he like had people from his staff come volunteer to help clear a trail. So we created a trail specifically for the race. That's and so cool. Like, I mean, it works for me because I get a loop I can run after work. And, <laughs> you know, so now he's given like private access to the property for local runners. Um, and then they, he's created trails and he spent a ton of hours out there. And they're so all of our racers get a get a wine tasting included with their run, and they also have tea. So if people don't drink alcohol, they get you know a tea tasting, like a tea flight, and yeah. So yeah. whereas I don't love the loop run, I think it's cool for people because you know technically my forty-eight hour fifty mile was still a finish. It was not the number I would have liked, but it's nice because even at worst people still are going to be able to complete something well and i would i've never done one but i would guess like people can actually push way beyond what they thought was possible at a loop so, yeah because it's just oh i'll just do one more loop or you yeah. know <laughs> it's, more of a, it's more of a controlled environment you have everything you need laid out you don't have to carry like a big pack and so you can like crewing's easier and yeah. So it definitely has its advantages. I've done a handful of loop races and they're not my favorite, but I also appreciate them for what they're capable of, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess to kind of like wrap up with you guys, which thanks again for sharing your time. I know Billy has a, a staff meeting, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just want like, if you had a message or like a feeling that you're trying to put out to not only the running community, but just like the community in general, like what would you say, like, what would you put out there? What's the thing you guys are trying to, to uh, kind of like inspire in other people? I guess for me, um, and I think maybe this is more like a, a overall human, human, I guess, message versus like to runners specific but i think there's so much negativity in this world from horrible you know horrible occurrences that happen like anytime you turn on the news there's there's something new it's something horrible and it's something that is you know because of humanity itself and so i think like it's important to remember that like positive actions can be equally powerful um so like i've had the luxury or the benefit of having you know small positive things that i've done come back to me you know years later finding out how they affected someone and knowing that i think it's just important to remember that like to be positive and to try to put goodness into the world and to realize while it might not be as instantaneous as bad actions can be with repercussions i think they do have equal power and so that's kind of my yeah Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Billy, I got to follow that up. I had more, I had more coffee than Billy this morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess, man, for 
like running specific, I think it's like almost everyone I know that runs has had has like some sort of injury or something. That it always kind of like baffles me because I haven't had an injury like never really. And so I think for people just to slow the hell down, like in, you know, you don't need to like kill yourself every single day and every single run to be healthier to be in shape. You just go, you know, go for a walk. We talk about that so much and like not like in the fact that we're like trolling people Strava but like watching our friends train and it's like especially during this quarantine a lot of people have like ramped up their mileage or ramped up their speed workouts. It's like oh injured now. It's like just like we know like it's literally we have like a list of people where like these people are going to be injured before the end of the year and it's I wish I could tell them that. Yeah. And sometimes I have said that to people like dude you're gonna be injured but they just they want so hard to like impress other people or to write a round number on I think there's just the concept that like you have to run hard to get in shape or to be you know which is I think that's a misconception is you can be at your peak shape without 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 the high intensity all the time yeah can you tell that to me? Cause this is the second day of uh, summer break. And I always like, as soon as summer break starts, I'm like, I'm just going to work out like nonstop. Let's go. <laughs> That's fine. Do you, try to get, try to get some big volume miles in. Like I challenge you to try to get like a couple hundred mile weeks, 120 mile weeks. In this Whoa, season. that but, would be beastly. But take the intensity off. Like if you yeah. normally run it eight minute, nine minute miles, take it to 11s and 12s, like add in walks, like go hikes. Um, but yeah, try to get some huge miles and like put the volume in. And you'll be surprised at how good you feel just from the low intensity and how like well you'll do if you actually hop into a race, you'll be going faster. Yeah, I was trying to convince a girl I know um, to hop into a race yesterday and she's, she's a very, very good athlete, but she normally, I personally think, and I told her this, she normally overtrains because everything she does is at a high intensity. Yeah. Like, oh, I haven't done anything in like three weeks. I'm like, this would probably be your best race ever because for once you're not ever trained. And she's like, ah, and I'm like, trust me, if you think you're out of shape, you're probably healthier than you've been in a long time. <laughs> and so, so true. I think so many people like, cause you follow math. Like, oh yeah. The, so there's like, it's like, um, kind of a coach or like, like researcher, Phil Moffatone, who he's kind of done a ton of research with low, you know, with um, like lower intensity, He's come up with a formula like 180, your heart rate formula, 180 minus your age. You kind of never, you know, try to never really exceed that number. And that's kind of what I've been doing naturally, like on my own for years and years. And then you followed it really strictly for like a year. There's a lot of cool research um, that he's done. So it's it's worth looking into. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I coach most of my clients too, is based off of that. And like, there's ways to play with it. Like I've learned, like I can run a half mile hard or a mile hard before my heart rate gets to that threshold. So I can get, or like, we'll do like, I think one day we went down to a park and we did like some like 40 or 50 meter sprints, like just to get the body used to turning the legs over, but not with the intensity. I think most people are in kind of that red zone of they're running too hard to be healthy and to recover well, but they're running way too slow to actually increase their speed. And that's Mm -hmm. like 90% of runners, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, guys. Well, thank you. I feel like I have so much to like, I could learn from you guys. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I really appreciate it. So yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I would add, you know, I would love to to chat with you again at some point in the future. Like I want, I really hope you guys uh, have an amazing 
race uh in a couple like in a week it sounds awesome so by the time this comes out everyone will be like that looked awesome and i'm like yeah <laughs> yeah thanks it's nice talking with you and enjoy your summer break yeah thanks you too man if you get to do some traveling i hope so fingers crossed yeah fingers crossed for you guys that sounds amazing so i hope you guys get to go all right, guys, that wraps up the show. Huge thanks to Alex and Billy for joining me for the podcast. Um, I loved, I just love talking with them. Super nice. Uh, and I felt like the conversation um, kind of went everywhere, but in a really fun, good way uh, that I that I really enjoyed. And, you know, I hope you can hear how much I just love teaching and because I got that from Billy, you can just tell that dude loves what he does every single day. And that's that's so, so cool. Um, so to kind of just close off here, I know the intro, um, like I said, that was probably the heaviest topic we've talked about on the show so far. And <clears throat> I, I bring it back. And this is what I thought of. Um, the very first time I went for a trail run, in the dark uh i was in southern virginia um i'm driving to the trailhead there's this awesome place called anglers park there's like 35 miles of single track it's sweet right but you know i've been i've been a trail runner for maybe like two or three months at this point and i was signed up for my first 50k and you have to start in the dark so i was like in my mind i'm like oh dude i have to go like i have to go practice running in the dark so i'm not like screwed over for the first two hours of this my very first 50k um so i drive down there <clears throat> and it's completely dark like you you know you can't see anything i you, i i want you to know it wasn't like sunrise like no it was nighttime <laughs> still and i pulled into the parking lot and there was a police car sitting in the parking lot and I don't know, maybe just like normal part of patrol, you know. Um, and, you know, I get out of the car. He gets out of the car. We just start chatting. I get to tell this guy like, hey, man, like, you know, I'm training for this. I'm like in running shorts and running gear and stuff. And I'm just like, hey, man, I'm training for this uh, ultra marathon and which is a race over 26 miles. And he was like, whoa, really? I'm like, yeah. And like it starts in the dark. So I want to go practice running in the dark and he was like okay like you don't he's like you don't look like you're up to up to no good so yeah you're good man i'm like okay and then i took off and that was like eight years ago i hadn't really thought of that day until uh the last few weeks and there's been a lot of a lot that has been said about this this idea of privilege and i guess in that moment my privilege was I knew I was a good person and I knew I was out there for a good positive reason. And I didn't feel any fear whatsoever from seeing a cop. I just, I didn't, I, I went out, I said, we talked, we had a nice chat. I actually thought it was a hilarious chat. Cause I'm like, this guy thinks I'm a freaking weirdo. Um, but I didn't feel nervous or scared because I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong. And that's a privilege I have, but to draw it back to 
this concept of fairness, that should be a privilege everybody has. It just should. If you're a good person and you're not out to harm anybody or you're not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't have to be fearful. You just shouldn't. And I mean, man, I run at 5 a.m. every morning or four. No, nah, 430 most mornings. I'm, I was thinking now that it's summertime. Give myself that extra half an hour of sleep. But I'll go out at 430 in the morning during the winter. It's completely dark out. I'll run through all sorts of neighborhoods, hoodie up, you know, hat pulled down low, whatever. I won't think two things of it. And I just wish that every person could say that. So anyways, I thought that stuff had to be addressed. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I mean, obviously don't come to the Like a Bigfoot podcast for these really heavy things, uh, even if you're still listening at this point. <laughs> um, but I just got to think like, am I, am I me personally, I think it just comes down to this. Am I satisfied with the status quo? Because the status quo is working for me. Or am I dissatisfied? Because although it's working for me, it isn't working for so many others. And I got to go with the, the latter there. I got to go with the second part. You know, if I'm truly out here to spread goodness, then that's got to, we got to start making those changes. And yeah, anyways. That's where I'm at. Uh, hope you guys are at least thinking about this, considering it, figuring out what you can do in your own life um, to better the world so and better yourself in the process. So, All right, guys. We'll get back at you guys next week. See you then.